Uh, so this week, uh, end of the week, monumental legislation shift in favor of pro-life. And uh, as a result, there's been lots of anger and violence. Yeah, we're not going to clap for that, are we? Yeah, because here's the deal. Man, um, we've got a very unique opportunity in our culture right now. Um, first of all, let me say that um, the legislation that happened, it's not political, it's spiritual. And so I think so many times when legislation is passed, we want to take a victory lap. And, uh, and, and uh, where a lot of us are taking victory laps are on social media. And, and, and so um, I just need to make a, just a couple of statements. As your pastor, can I, can I give us a little bit of instruction on, on how I believe God wants us to respond? Is that okay? So Hebrews 12, 14 kind of sets it up for us. He says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Can you put that up? Um, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Amen. So um, the goal as followers of Jesus is always peace. Always. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we talked about it in week one of Genesis, that, that, that his goal for us is to find rest, and the implication there is a life of peace. And so that is an internal struggle that we all deal with from time to time, peace. And so we want to promote peace as followers of Jesus. And then we also, it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so uh, just remember, as we're moving through this next season in American history, man, it's been bad for a while, right? Uh, we have been divided for a while politically, but here, here's what we can't do as far as of Jesus. We don't get to wrap the American flag around Jesus. Amen. Because here's the thing, Jesus isn't an American. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. <gasps> No, and so as, as, we're, as we see things like this transpire, um, just know this, our world is in a tailspin. It has been since Genesis 3, right? And so we live in a broken world. Jesus is the antidote for our own personal brokenness. But in the middle of our regeneration, our restoration, we'll continue to see brokenness in the world. And so um, the last thing that God needs is for keyboard warriors on social media to go, to go give your opinion on what's just happened. Because I say this all the time, but let me just say it again. The next person that says I've changed my mind on social media will literally be the first, okay? And so just calm down. And here's the thing. If someone opposes your opinion, take them to breakfast. Amen. Dialogue. Y'all remember what that was like? Face-to-face -face dialogue? Um, hiding behind your social media account, it may make you feel better and you're glad you got it off your chest, but at what expense? And this is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to sow seeds of peace. Okay, that's all I wanted to say about that. Everybody okay? Okay, so... Uh, Last week, first half of Genesis 2, we studied this place created for man. Remember the garden, this place created for man and the purpose for which man was created. Uh, and, and so uh, let, me, let me, you can go back and check last week's message out to get the details. But really quickly, Eden was a place and it represented the place where God's dwelling place on earth, out of that flowed a river. You remember the river that flowed into the garden and, and as it flowed into the garden, everything was springing up to life. It was this beautiful picture of the presence of God bringing life to everything. Remember the, the, the tree of life in the center of the garden and we decided that, wow, that really mimics the temple. When the temple was built, there was the outer courts, the inner courts, then the holy of holies. And, and remember the tree of life when they were in ingesting the fruit from the tree of life, they were literally ingesting the presence and power of God. And that was their sustenance for life every day. Pretty cool stuff. And then God is uh, placing man in the garden to take care of the garden, to cultivate the garden. And we decided that the chief role of man was to cultivate the presence and power of God. 
not just in the garden, but remember there were four rivers that flowed out of the garden. And this picture of God's restorative work and his presence and his power flowing out of the garden into the world around us. And so uh, man's purpose, we said this last week, to cultivate the presence and power of God and to keep the flow of his presence from being restricted in any way. So cultivate, don't restrict. Don't be the bottleneck by which God's presence can't get out, right? Okay, so we see that in Genesis chapter two. And just remember when we think about the gospel, uh, I think I've said this the last couple of weeks, but when we think about the gospel, here's uh, so many times we start with Genesis three, right? You're a miserable sinner, right? So we sit across from people, we see the product of their life and we're like, hey, you're jacked up, right? So that's so often where we start. And, and while that's true, Genesis 1 and 2 give us God's perfect design for us. And so just imagine as you're looking at Genesis 3 back toward Genesis 1 and 2 that the cross stands in between Genesis 3 and Genesis 2. Why? Because we, when we say yes to Jesus, when we are saved, when we, are, uh, when we enter into this salvation covenant with God through Jesus, he is restoring us to our original intention. So if you miss that, then a lot of us would say, yeah, I'm saved. Saved from what and for what? I, I don't know. You were saved for Eden to be restored, for you now to be a conduit for God's grace, for God's glory, and for his purpose. So uh, what I want to address today, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a step back in order to move forward. I feel like we need to spend a couple of weeks talking about uh, specific roles of men, specific roles of women. And so this week, uh, the second half of the message will focus strictly on men. And then next week, we're going to focus strictly on women. And so uh, men today, know this. This is not an effort to browbeat you. I didn't wait until the week after Father's Day so you'd feel better about yourself. That's what you're worried about. Here, here's what it is. This is an invitation for us to live into God's perfect design uh, in our family and in our workplace. And so women, uh, don't get too comfortable today. Don't be doing this because next week is your turn. All right? And so... Um, before we do that, we're going we're gonna to start at the end of chapter one uh, because we've got to see a 30,000 foot view of male and female. Amen. And so I want to say a couple of things before diving to the passage today. Um, there are cultural views of gender roles, sexual identity that I'm going to touch on this morning. But again, here's what I want to remind you of. This is not political, but spiritual. Amen. So got to be real careful that, that we don't lose our way. So what we're going to look at in chapter one is original intent, original design. And so and, and until we get that, none of it really makes sense. And, and so uh, everything I say today is a sound bite of what I could say. So just remember in a 30, 40 minute message, however long this goes, um, uh, uh, you know, I can only say so much. And so just like in, in, in the social media world, everything that we say is just a soundbite and it never represents everything we want to say, which is so important. I hope this opens up dialogue, dialogue between you and me. Find my email, uh, email me. You want to take me to lunch? Uh, your treat, I'm all in. <laughs> so having said all this, um, in the U.S., we see a slide away from the biblical view of gender identity of sexual identity, of marriage, and the culture continues to redefine truth. And so there's no better place to recapture the truth than to go back to who we're intended to be. And so the next couple of weeks, we're gonna see, that, hey, as a, as a man, not just as a male, but as a man, as a godly man in our culture, who are we called to be? Not just as a female, but as a godly woman in this culture, who have we been called to be? So let's, let's look at the 30,000 foot view back in Genesis chapter one, starting with verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over 
the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, ready, male and female, he created them. So we see uh, chapter one, again, 30,000 foot view, right? We're looking uh, at creation and we see man is the highlight. He's right at the end of the chapter on day six after he's created everything. The last thing he does is he creates male and female and he looks and he says, it is not just good, but very good. It is very good. And so we see that the creation of mankind is the very good of God that all of creation was created for male and female to enjoy God here on earth. And it says every man and woman, they are image bearers of God and are invited to partner with God and what he's doing on the earth. So that's pretty exciting. So why is that important? So verse 27, we see that man is really mankind and that genders were established for mankind as what? Male and female. So mankind was created in God's image and there's this symmetry or equality to male and female being image bearers, two genders under one banner. What does that mean? That male and female are both equally created as image bearers of creator God. Okay, so there's no inferiority where women are concerned. Women are not second rate or less than both male and female created by God equally. It says it right here. I'm not making this up, right? He created mankind, male and female. He created them. He created them as image bearers of God for the purpose of partnering with him to rule and reign on the earth. So that's the picture of the equality of the creation of man and woman. Now, one thing we know, God said it was what? Very good, which means this, God doesn't make mistakes. Now, what does that apply to? It applies to our culture today. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't look at at, at someone and say, oh, I made a mistake with you. And everything that that implies, again, I'm going to let you fill in the blanks based on how much you read, how much you study, how much you look at culture. Um, It's really not about that. What we can do is we can affirm the positive that God created male and female. So God doesn't make mistakes. And remember, creation was perfection. Perfection. The fall doesn't come until Genesis 3. So any confusion about gender, sexual identity came post-Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. Okay, so after sin enters the world, literally all hell breaks loose. But before Genesis 3, when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, there was a divine design. There was perfection. There was original intent. So that's where we have to start. It's so important for us to understand this is where we have to start fundamentally at the very beginning, how did God intend it? Verse 28, what's the first thing that is recorded that God tells male and female to do? He blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and every other living thing that moves on the ground. The first edict from God is reproduce. So this just gives us a picture. I don't know what that was was for. Yeah, sometimes a little restraint. Sheila would be great. Um, so, So here's the deal. When we think about that, I mean, reproduction was God's design. And in order to reproduce, so... Uh, last week, we talked about the intricacy of the human body. We talked about 60,000 miles of blood vessels. That all, blood is coursing through our veins. 60,000 miles, y'all. Does that not freak you out? That's a lot. 
Our nine major organ systems all working together to allow us to, to think, feel, see, hear, taste, experience life. I mean, it's so awe-inspiring, the intricacy of the human body. And then we think about how we reproduce. I mean, just the way that it all works, not the way it happens, but the way it works, is uh, that should be awe-inspiring to us. And so we look at this whole idea of, of male and female living in perfection. And the first thing God says is, hey, reproduce. But what is he doing? He's saying, listen, you're made of my image. Now reproduce my image in someone else. I'm inviting you to live as an image bearer of me and to reproduce and create more people just like me. So why is that important? Well, it's important because God said it, first of all. Um, but even more, it's important because we have to always look at original intention. So uh, if you were original here, in, in, in Eastern culture at that time, uh, women were really currency. The more women you had, the better off you were. Right, and so as they're hearing this for the first time, uh, we're hearing that that one woman created as an image bearer of God, and and this equality with man that doesn't compute in that culture at that time because women were oppressed, women were less than. And you see it as a theme throughout the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever read throughout the Old Testament. You thought about Solomon, all the wives he had. You're like man, I can't keep up with the one I got, right? And she's awesome, by the way. Yvonne, if you're watching, you're awesome. Uh, uh, but, but, but just know this. I mean, this is this picture of, uh, we got to remember that they were living as less than. And so to hear that they were created in equality with man as an image bearer of God, man, that would be incredible for them to hear, but, but also the cultural view of sexuality. I mean, post-Genesis 3, we'll get into it in Genesis 6, that uh, God destroyed the world through a flood, and, and it was largely based over sexual debauchery. And so if you're looking at our culture right now, in our hyper-sexualized culture, and you're like, man, we're a mess, well, we come by it honestly, it's been that way since the fall. And so all the issues that we see today in our culture are actually not new. They've existed since Genesis 3. And so we see this in Genesis 1, uh, an overview of original intention, male and female created equally as image bearers of God to reproduce and, and, and they're in the image of God, partnering with God over all creation. Any attempt to live outside of those overarching themes is an attempt to rewrite, reinterpret, or discount scripture. So if that's an overview of creation, what I wanna do for the next few minutes is I wanna really drill down in the role of man. So the role of man, 30,000 foot, man, cultivate God's glory and purpose in the world don't be a restrictor for the flow of his presence. But there are specific things that men, you are called to be and do. Women, there are certain things that you're called to be and do. And so I just wanna kind of get us thinking along those lines over the next couple of weeks and then we'll move forward into chapter three. So if we look at uh, verse seven, chapter two, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So when we see chapter one, if you're just reading chapter one, you look and it says he created male and female. He created mankind, male and female. When he gets into chapter two, he created man first. He not only created man first, he stuck him in the garden by himself. So that leads to question, okay, how did this all actually take place? And, and, and why is man created first and placed in the garden? It's a great question, right? And, and here is my answer, because that's how God wanted to do it. 
So, I mean, we can presuppose and we can study scholars and we can go through all of that. At the end of the day, God did what God did because that's what God does. And we get fixated on things so many times that is really not the point. The point is God created man according to the text. He breathed life. Uh, the, the presence, the spirit of God whoo, breathes into him. He comes to life and he places him in his presence in the garden to care for it, to cultivate it. So does it make man more important than woman? No. He's already set that presupposition up in chapter 1 that they are created with equality. They're both image bearers of God. But there are specific roles of man and specific roles of women that we gotta pay attention to. Because here's the thing, all of us, if you, if you look in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and all these gifts that we've been given, you know, remember in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, like the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. You know, the ear can't say to the uh, mouth, I have no need. I mean, we're all needed. We're all indispensable, right? And so all of us have different gifts. We're not robots. And also when we look at genders, that we are uh, all created equally, but with different roles. Is that fair? So what is this painting? Not more important, but it is painting a picture of headship. Spiritual headship. God creates man, he places him in the garden because he wants him to, to get something about he has been placed in a place of authority, of spiritual headship. And so uh, it's important to understand that headship is, uh, it, it implies these two things, authority and responsibility. Authority and responsibility. And here's the problem in our culture most men want all authority, but they're not willing to take responsibility. And so what we have is a lot of males, but not a lot of men. So just because you're male doesn't make you a godly man. So you can, you can have all the uh, right parts and not be the man that God desires you to be. And so um, this is a call of headship that implies both authority and responsibility. And you can't have one without the other. They work together. So here's where we get this idea of headship in uh, Genesis one and two. Adam's creation prior to woman, it's a picture of headship. Adam's naming of the animals prior to the creation of Eve. So that's, uh, we're gonna see that next week in 18 through 25. Adam's naming of Eve after God's creation of her. So we see that um, he speaks of her. Um, I don't know that he specifically names her, but he does. Uh, it's the first time that we hear her name. Uh, God's holding Adam, not Eve, responsible for the sin in Genesis chapter three. We'll see that in chapter three. Eve ate the apple, and man, we love to talk about that. It was her fault. And we come by it honestly, you know why? Because that's exactly what Adam did. He didn't take responsibility, and yet God held him ultimately responsible. The woman's designation we'll see next week as man's suitable helper. So all of those things imply this picture of headship. So you look at verse 15, and it says the Lord took man, he put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And so... Um, remember, God placed man in the garden to cultivate the presence in God, the presence of God. And, and so, uh, imagine the Garden of Eden being sacred space. This is sacred space that now He is to preserve, protect, take authority of, and take responsibility for. So, if this is God's perfect design. Uh, what happens in the absence of these characteristics of headship? What happens in the absence of authority and responsibility? Well, what we get, instead of responsibility, we get passivity. And instead of authority, we get aggression. So instead of responsibility, 
we get passivity, and instead of authority, we get aggression. And we're going to see both of these on display in chapter 3 through Adam, chapter 4 through Cain. And both of them are a result of sin. Both passivity and aggression are a result of sin. So, again, I just want to pause for just a second. Men, this may be painfully uncomfortable for you for the next few minutes. And, and man, I, I just want to pray over you right now that you will not receive the shame that the enemy wants to heap on you today. Because here's the deal. We've all failed at one point or another. For some of you, the idea of being the spiritual head of your house scares you to death, mainly because you're living in shame, because you haven't done it, and maybe it's because of something that you've done in your life that has made you shrink back in some way. And so, man, I want to release you today from shame and to live in freedom that today can be a new day. And so, God, we pray that, that uh, shame would cease right now in the name of Jesus. We know that there's an enemy that wants to uh, kill, steal, destroy, wants to seek to um, distort. And so I pray for clarity right now and a, uh, a freedom from guilt, shame, and fear in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, with all that being said, men, when you are spiritually passive, you are robbing your family of the life that God has for them. When you're spiritually passive, do you know what it means to be passive? I think we all do. When you decide to sit something out because you're uncomfortable, because you don't want to have the conversation, because you feel like, oh, I don't have enough biblical knowledge to speak into this, and, and, and we use every excuse to be spiritually passive. Um, and I think about this, your wife would love for you to know as much about her as you do about your fantasy football team. She would love for you to know as much about her as you do about your bow, about your rifle, about the lure that you need to catch the big fish out in the Gulf. Think about the, the hours that you study so that you can figure out how to do the thing that you love to do, right? I mean, we all do it. Uh, move into your career. I mean, you want to be at the top of your game. And so your competitive nature kicks in and you want to be the very best at what you do, right? Anybody, you're like, oh, I'd rather be average, right? Yeah, nobody says that. And if you do, let's talk, all right? There's freedom from that. But here's the thing. Man, spiritually speaking, this passivity this passivity of, uh, of sitting back and thinking, you know what? I took my family to church, that's enough. You've abdicated your spiritual responsibility, right? To lead your family well. So it takes a move from passivity and apathy and a move toward taking spiritual responsibility for your family. And I think we, don't you intuit it? Don't you feel yourself shrinking back? And again, I said last week, man, I think we've got a group of men in our congregation. Uh, God's doing something powerful in our men. But we have nowhere near reached it, right? We may be better than some, maybe even better than most as a church. And that is a very low bar. There's so much more that God has for us. So what about aggression? What about aggression? I mean, man, we have testosterone coursing through our bodies, right? And I think about, man, I love Braveheart and Gladiator. Anybody enjoy those? Man, it gets you pumped up. By the time it's over, you're ready to do something physical, right? I want to go conquer the world. It ignites something in you. We love those stories, and, and, and both of those stories are a man going to war over a woman, right? It's a woman's fault. But, uh, but you think about just this feeling of aggression, man. We all feel it beneath the surface, but here's the truth. Authority and aggression are not the same thing. Aggression is actually masking fear and insecurity. 
Did you realize that, that aggression, anger is actually a secondary emotion? And, and, and it's actually masking, I'm, I'm afraid. Maybe afraid of being found out. Maybe afraid of being wrong. Insecurity, maybe I'm not enough of a man. And so it causes us, aggression is I lash out because you've touched a wound in my life. So men, men, we're all on some journey with, with wounds and baggage, we grew up and uh, maybe you had a horrible relationship with your dad and so you're, you've got this father wound that you're living out of and, and uh, you're constantly bowing up and, and being aggressive either with your spouse, with your kids, maybe in public, um, you're walking around like just begging somebody to look at you wrong. So you can be like, what are you looking at? It doesn't play well for me in public. Uh, <laughs> I'm more like a chihuahua, right? <laughs> I wish I were taller, you know? If y'all got a drug for that, I'm in. All right, so, um, but know this, guys. Every time you go after your spouse, you're aggressive. In an effort to shut her down, you raise your voice, you flare your nostrils, you lean forward. Um, my kids tell me I flare my nostrils when I'm upset. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> but I, I know for me that, that, that uh, usually what happens, I, I, when I really go back and think about it, what made me aggressive in that moment? Because I just don't wanna, I don't wanna be questioned. I'm right. Don't question me, woman. Yeah, sorry, Vaughn. Um, but think about what you're sowing into your family's life. See, authority has been given to you by God. You didn't, you, you didn't, you did nothing to earn that. You did nothing to earn the authority that you have as a follower of Jesus. You're just called to live in it. But authority is not aggression. Authority is not you will submit to me, woman. That's just not how it works. And we love to read Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands. We love that verse, but we don't love Ephesians 5.21 that says mutually submit to each other as unto the Lord. But aggressiveness comes out because we're afraid. So if you have to get aggressive and dominate, to prove your worth or to prove your authority, you've already lost from a spiritual perspective. Galatians 5, and 23, um, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Here's the bottom line, you don't have it in you to be controlled in all situations, but the spirit of God in you does. And so, if you're prone to flying off the handle, if you're prone, uh, and this is men and women, by the way, um, if, if, you're, uh, if you're prone to, you know, whipping around somebody because they're driving 45 on Fish Creek, who does that? Um, <laughs> if you're prone to feeling frustrated because of that, if you're prone to flying off the handle because your chicken was overcooked, if you're, if you're prone to, to, hey, I'm the man of this house, I make the decisions. If you're prone to being that guy, it just means that you're living outside of control of the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is self-control. Think about the word boss. I hate that word. I hate it for some unhealthy reasons and then for maybe a good one. Um, I can remember 15 years ago, a guy that was over me, we were at lunch and um, he, he introduced me to some people that he knew from outside of our workplace. And he said, hey, these are people that work for me. And, and I immediately said, I don't work for you. And uh, uh, because in my mind, I'm like, that's unhealthy, right? That's me not wanting to live under authority. And anytime you have to tell somebody you're their boss, you've lost the battle. Because 
authority is earned through influence and that's what's been given to you in a spiritual realm. But when you feel like you have to take it by saying, this is who I am, this is my title, you've already lost the battle. So maybe you haven't been living into this and right now you're just feeling like, you're feeling shame because um, I would venture to guess if you're sitting next to your spouse, you're scared to death of what conversations are gonna be had over lunch today, right? You're scared to death that they're thinking about you and here's what they're thinking. Oh God, I hope that this sinks in for him, right? <laughs> I, I, hey, I get it, I get it. But here's what I would say in a very loving way, women, keep it to yourself. This is not between you and him, it's between him and God. And so if there are things that you know, this rings true to you, that you've been passive, that you've been aggressive, maybe you've been both passive and aggressive, maybe it's time to do some inspection. And maybe the number one thing you need to do today is submit your life to Jesus. Because you'll never get there. I will give you no self-help tricks to be uh, more, live in more authority and more responsibility. That's not how you were made to be. You were made to have the identity of an image bearer of God. That's first and foremost. That is who you are, not an identity of what you produce. We've been talking about that a lot. So the culture paints a picture of a man that we see as some form of a bumbling idiot, like Kevin James and King of Queens, right? That, that just a comedy of errors and, and she's always looking at him like <laughs> idiots, right? And unfortunately, that is so pervasive in our culture today that we're living down to it, men. That we're just living as the stereotype says we are. And, and here's the thing, when you feel dumbed down, you know what it causes in you? Aggression. It causes you to aggressively want to take your place back, even if you haven't earned it. And again, when we are not living under the authority of Jesus, do you see how it gets out of whack? That the culture tells you who you are, and then you take your cues from the culture and how to gain it back? It just doesn't work. And here's a problem. The lack of spiritual leadership has created a vacuum where families are living fatherless. So know this. Man, we have a huge heart for foster care and adoption. Several of our ministry partners are focused on foster care and adoption, caring for the fatherless. And so, man, we're deeply committed to that. Here's the problem. There are many families in our church that are living fatherless. You're there but completely checked out. You're there but you're not living in God's perfect design. So here's the thing. This is not to shame you. It's to invite you into the more, to be the man that God desires you to be, to be the man that your family actually needs from you. Your lack of spiritual authority and responsibility will lead to the rampant downfall in your family. Okay, so how should we interpret man's role in the family? I just wanna give you a couple of ideas just for you to soak in and and think about. And so if you're a note taker, this would be a great time to take notes. If you're not, this would be a great time to take notes. All right. So um, number one, men, you're called to be the protector and preserver of God's presence in the sacred space you have been given your home. So if you're a single man, uh, this is not your time to check out. Because if you're a single man, it means your hope is to one day be married. So if your hope is to one day be married, you can cultivate these principles in your life today. So don't check out on me. Um, but, but you have been called to be a protector and preserver of God's presence in your home. So just like Adam, God's intention has always been for you to protect and preserve God's presence. You're the gatekeeper. 
Do you recognize that? That part of headship is that you are the gatekeeper of your home. You do not abdicate that responsibility to your wife. It goes through you. You have the authority and the responsibility to be the preserver and protector of God's presence in your home. So again, you're filled with testosterone for a reason, right? Something goes bump in the night. You're the one that jumps out of bed and goes, take care, goes and takes care of it, right? You don't go, honey, go see what that is and hide under the bed. I mean, in Montgomery County, you shoot first and ask questions later, right? I mean, that just kind of as a, don't amen that. Yeah, I literally feel like I could say anything and you would say that. All right, so, but uh, this is not just physical protection, but spiritual protection. So how is the spiritual presence of God preserved in your home? So let me give you three ways. There are lots of ways. Here are three. Number one, pray with your wife. Women, be still right now. Pray with your wife. So what does that mean? You, well, for some of you, I'm saying that this scares you to death, right? I'm looking out of the room. Every, every guy, make eye contact with me. If this scares you, just nod yes. You're just very, <laughs> maybe just blink twice, blink twice. Yeah, I mean, hey, here's the bottom line. It scares all of us, and it scares all of us because of this, because we don't pray enough with our wife. And right now, you're sitting next to your wife. Y'all are holding hands. You got your arm around her, and inside, you are scared to death that she's taking this in like, mm. <laughs> But a couple of thoughts. Um, you're afraid it'll be awkward. It will. But I, I was listening to Matt Chandler this week, and he, he gave this great idea, so I'm going to pass it on to you. Um, here's the idea. So you're wondering, well, how do I pray with her? I don't know what to say. I don't really understand how the whole prayer thing works. So here's just very simple. Go to your wife, look her in the eye, and say, how can I pray for you? Did you get that? Just how can I pray for you? Then once she tells you, pray for that thing. <laughs> you get it? I mean, we make it way too hard. It's how can I pray for you? Awesome, let's pray. It is not your opportunity when she says, well, I'm anxious because the kids, blah, 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 blah. It is not your opportunity to go, oh, well, you shouldn't be anxious about that. Let me, let me tell you how you can fix that. You're not there to fix. If you really want to shepherd your wife's heart, what she wants for you is to take her by the hand and say, awesome, let's pray. Pray for that, then be done. And you stack a few of those days together, and guess what you're doing? You're praying for your wife. What would it be like for you to look up and go, man, for the last 30 days, I've prayed for my wife every day. And guess what? It's been a series of 30-second prayers. And guess what? My wife is coming alive because of that. She's coming alive because she feels like that you are actually preserving and protecting God's presence in your house because you're the gatekeeper. It goes through you. What would that be like? Guys, man, I've just lowered the bar for you big time. It's not that hard. If you don't do it now, that might be scary for you. All right, so, so pray with your wife. Read the Bible and pray with your kids. So unfortunately, um, we, we abdicate Responsibility of spiritual development to restoration kids, to student ministry, to Christian schools. And we say, oh, well, they're getting that somewhere else. You know where they need it most? At home. And through you, man, through you, dad, you are the gatekeeper, which means that you're gonna set the spiritual temperature in your household. What would it be like? for you to gather your kids tonight and say, hey, can we just read some scripture together? There's so many, uh, some of you are like, well, I wouldn't know where to start. 
right? Don't start with children, obey your parents, right? That's not, it's Ephesians 6, by the way, you can look it up. But, uh, but, but that's not where you want to start. Man, grab a kid's devotional. You can find stuff online. Go to the Bible Project. The Bible Project, it's incredible. It's cartoons that in about seven or eight minutes will unpack a story in the Bible. So, so good. You can sit and watch it with your kids and then say, hey, what'd you think about that? Let them start asking questions. And you're scared to death for your kids to ask you questions because deep down you're biblically illiterate and you don't know what to say. You don't need to have the answers. You can say, oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me uh, study that a little bit and I'll get back with you. Right? But don't abdicate the responsibility of, of teaching your kids how to love Jesus just because you feel inadequate. They want to see you walk into it, stumble through it. It's okay. Because they're not going to know that you're stumbling through it. They're kids. And the more practice makes perfect, right? You begin to shepherd their hearts and you begin to see changes in them as a result of the things that you're pouring into them. Protect what your family takes in. You control the screens in your house, guys. That's underneath your control. Again, you're the gatekeeper. And that includes you, by the way. And I'm convicted because that man, body count movies are my favorite kind of movies, right? Just stuff blowing up, people dying, guns blazing, you know, and I, I love that stuff. But is that the healthiest thing for my home? Is that what I want to promote in my home? So what are you allowing, right? Man, be careful of YouTube kids. They're learning stuff on there that you don't want to be about, right? I mean, I think, I think we just kind of sit back and are like, oh, well, we'll, we'll figure it out, right? They're fine. They're kids. They're going to hear it somewhere. Well, don't let it be your house. Don't abdicate responsibility to either uh, children's ministry or Christian school or even worse, a public school where you're letting them learn about all sorts of things from a cultural perspective. You get to be the gatekeeper. And some of you are scared to do that because you want to be your kid's friend. They don't need a friend. They need a dad. So pray with your wife, read the Bible, pray with your kids, protect what your family takes in because your family needs spiritual protection and preservation. And number two, this is where we'll land today. Um, take spiritual authority and responsibility for your family. Again, men tend to excel in physical authority, but not spiritual. We shrink back. And don't take the responsibility seriously of leading your family. And so part of being a man and a godly man is living into the authority and responsibility that's been given to you. Again, you may be a biological male, but that's not what makes you a man. What makes you a man is living under the authority of God, but living as the authority or the gatekeeper of your house and taking responsibility for that, not abdicating it to anyone else, saying the buck stops here and stops with me. But you gotta be willing to be the servant leader. That's when we get to um, Ephesians 5.25, where it talks about husbands. Husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. Ultimate authority and responsibility is laying your life down. When we look in the kingdom, it's upside down. Ultimate authority and responsibility is not bowing up and saying it's my way or the highway. No, ultimate authority and responsibility, we see it in Jesus. We see that Jesus did the countercultural thing. No, he stood tall and lived in his convictions. And then what did it say? Jesus, Philippians 2, being in every form and in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he became obedient even to death on the cross. Amen. We're called.
called to lead like Jesus led. He led up a hill with the cross on his back. What your family needs to see is you living this self-sacrificial authority and responsibility. That it's not about your career. I'll give you the leftovers. It's not about you hunting every other weekend. Hey, this is my time. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but remember Genesis 3, everything got distorted and we are living outside of God's perfect design. God has perfectly designed you, perfectly designed you to be the spiritual leader of your house. He's perfectly designed you to take authority and responsibility for the people that God has placed in your home. And so part of spiritual manhood moving in to the authority and responsibility he's giving you to preserve, protect, and to do it just as Christ did, sacrificially to the death. So today, um, I don't want you to feel beat up, but here's what I want to say. This is not between you and me. It's between you and God. This is not a time to live in shame of what you haven't done. This is a time for new beginnings. We're in the beginning, the origin story. And so now we get to, man, if you failed miserably, today start over. Maybe you've lost trust with your wife. Maybe there's some deep chasms of trust. Well, guess what? Trust is earned one day at a time. As you live in the truth of who God's made you to be day after day after day. And I promise you this, you're like, well, you don't understand how, how deep-sixed I am. I, I, I don't, I was at one point in my marriage. The only thing that we weren't was divorced, but we were almost there. And guess what? When God changed my life, it was just the daily habit of living in truth and taking back the authority that God had given me. And guess what? It doesn't take as long as you think because your wife loves you or she wouldn't be sitting next to you right now. And what she desires is for you to take back what the enemy has stolen. Take back the blessing that he's given you of authority, spiritual authority, not aggression, spiritual responsibility, not passivity, to be the protector and preserver of God's presence in your home. It's who you were made to be. You'll never live more in the truth of who God has made you to be than when you're practicing these concepts.